I think Baptists have always been internationalists. Uh, you know, the, the gospel crosses borders. We are not connected as Baptists with one particular country or a founder from one particular country. And, and it's that sense of internationalism and crossing borders, which I think has been, for me, the biggest casualty, perhaps, in, uh, in, in Brexit. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Tony Peck. He's the General Secretary of the European Baptist Federation. As we'll talk about right at the very beginning, it's more commonly just referred to now as EBF, as it includes not only Baptists across Europe, but also in the Middle East and Central Asia. There are more than 50 Baptist denominations in that region, and they represent more than 14,000 churches and 820,000 members, with a whole lot of very unique context and situations. Tony's going to share some stories from several of those countries, and I'm so excited to have him on the program because he brings decades of knowledge about Baptists crossing borders and working together. So I'm really glad that I had an opportunity earlier this month to sit down with Tony when we were together at the executive committee meetings of the Baptist World Alliance in Falls Church, Virginia. Tony and I have served together on some committees with the BWA, and I've really enjoyed getting to know him, hanging out with him, and just seeing his heart and passion for Baptist work across his region and around the world. So here's my conversation with Tony Peck of EBF. Well, Tony, first of all, thanks for joining us on the program. Pleasure. So you are the General Secretary of the European Baptist Federation. Yes. Better known now as just EBF, and you can probably explain that in your answer. (laughs) So who is EBF? Yes, well, the reason why we call it EBF is that Europe for us is rather elastic, and uh, it includes um, the Middle East, most countries in the Middle East, the EBF region, also, some of the countries of Central Asia, the Stan countries, uh, for instance, like Tajikistan. So a while ago, we just decided to call ourselves EBF, Europe, Middle East, Central Asia. And Baptists are found in most of the countries of the region. And you're, of course, one of the six regions of the Baptist World Alliance. Yes. And so in your role, General Secretary, uh, United States language might think more of an executive director or that type okay. of staff role, mm-hmm. just to help people mm-hmm. kind of understand what it is that you're doing. Yeah. yeah. And so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what that means then as general secretary, what the, what do you do? Well, that's a very good question. It's, it probably has got several answers, but let me summarize that over the years that I've been serving the EBF, which is over 15 now, I would summarize it by saying, I think I'm a bond of connection between Baptists across the region. Of course, EBF 
carries out some projects. We, we have a church planting project. We uh, engage in defending religious freedom. We have an anti-human trafficking project. But the most important thing of all, I think, is building the connection, the fellowship, the sense of solidarity, the prayerful support between us. And very often, I think I do that in my person, along with my colleagues as well, not just, just me, but I do that as I go around. I'm representing the wider family and just forming that connection. Because many of our unions in the EBF are very small. I think a quarter of our unions have 2,000 members or less. So they're small, they're minorities in their own country. Sometimes to have a representative that just assures them and sometimes assures their governments that they belong to a bigger family across the EBF region, but indeed across the world, is, is just a great support for them. So I think above all, I've seen myself as that bond of connection. I want to unpack a couple of things you mentioned. So, you know, in most of the countries in EBF, Protestants are a minority, let alone yeah. evangelicals and even let alone Baptists. And so I wonder how that impacts the context that you've seen as Baptists are worshiping and administering and, and living out in the society as a minority within a minority. Yes. Yes. It's a mixed picture across the, the EBF, but it's true that Baptists certainly are a minority in each place. And I, I think that that has affected the way that they have grown up. At the beginning, many of them, nearly all of them, were persecuted either by the state church or the government or a combination of both. But in many countries now, Baptists have become a respected minority. I think of a country like Ukraine, for instance. Ukraine has a dominant Orthodox culture, but Baptists play a very significant part, both in the religious life and also in the life of society. We have some prominent Baptist MPs there, for instance. So although, yes, we are minorities, in most places, I think it would be true to say that Baptists often punch above their weight, you know, as minorities. And then you talked about meeting with governmental leaders, and I yeah. know this has also often been involved in, weak, we often call it religious liberty. Yeah. Uh, you all call it freedom of religion, yeah. belief, yeah. Uh, form. Uh, yeah. And so that's been a really important issue in, in helping advocate for Baptists in various countries in your region. Yes, it has. This is particularly true in Central Asia, for instance, in places like Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan, we have very restricted religious freedom. A recent example has been the disputed territories of eastern Ukraine, which have declared themselves republics under Russian backing, but Ukrainians see them as occupied territories, within which we've lost almost all our religious freedom as uh, minority religions, not just Christian religions, actually, but, but Muslims as well. And so it continues to be important that we do stand for freedom of religion and belief for all. This is our Baptist tradition, uh, and not only for ourselves. And uh, in a country like Azerbaijan, for instance, it was some years ago that we had pastors actually in prison. And, and there we try and mobilize the both representations to government and also through the Baptist world. And indeed, in that case, it was a timely letter from Jimmy Carter that managed to achieve the freedom of those uh, pastors. And then in more recent years, even in my own country of Great Britain, there's been a renewed interest in 
freedom of religion of belief as part of foreign policy. So in fact, the EBF, together with the British Baptists, are part are what's called a stakeholder in an all-party parliamentary group on international religious freedom. What that means is we have an access into our own parliament. So when countries are being discussed, we can help to find, provide background information for important questions to be asked, which can shape British foreign policy. So, you know, there are different ways in which we do this. As the EBF, I would say in recent years, we've built up much more of a team to address this. And indeed, 18 months ago, we appointed a young researcher in religious freedom, Kieran Wurtz, who works out of Germany, who's proved to be very helpful to us in just doing the necessary research, which is often quite complex and often involves legal matters. If you're really going to be effective, it's not just about writing the letters. It's actually about drilling down into what the issues are in the particular country and trying to advocate them for religious freedom in, in that context. I don't know if you can speak to this situation. I know that there's been information the last year or so coming out about the Baptist Seminary in Moscow. And there was yeah. the news just I learned today that just from last week. And I, and I wonder if you could help update us so that we are, are aware of what's happening for yeah. Baptists there and, and can be mindful and prayerful of what's happening there. Well, thank you. I mean, what's happened in Russia is that probably about uh, three years ago, new laws were passed which were designed to try to curb terrorism. So the trouble is they become a blunt instrument which is then wielded on all sorts of religious groups. Obviously, they're trying to stop radicalization and all that kind of thing. But what it has meant in the case of the Baptists in Russia is that, in, that they are receiving much more attention from the government in terms of inspections of their buildings and uh, questions about what they're doing, restrictions on church planting and, and all that kind of thing. In the case of the Moscow Seminary, it, it's a very well-established place and indeed was established by Baptists from all around the world. And um, it, it's had a very fine record. But recently, in the last uh, two or three years, it too has received these inspections and uh, has been fined sometimes for what perceived lack of uh, facility or maintenance or something. And the latest thing is that they have their license to grant degrees has been revoked. Now, it's very interesting their response, because although they're disappointed about that, both the students and the staff have actually said, what we want to do is to be trained as pastors for the Russian churches. And if that means that we can't get a degree, then, you know, we, 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 we'll still go through the seminary and, and go and serve the churches in that way, which I think is very good. But we also learned that, you know, the, the latest is that the, the government authorities have declared the fire system inadequate and, you know, it's $53,000 to put it right and, and all that. So there's been a lot of sort of harassment, really, by the government for the... Um, for the Russian Baptists. And the Russian Baptist president, Peter Mitskevich, happens also to be the rector of the seminary. So we're particularly trying to support and help him in this situation. And obviously, we make representations where we can about the situation in Russia. We'll be right back. But first, I want to let you know about a special offer from Word and Way magazine. You enjoy the podcast, but if you're not a subscriber to our award-winning monthly magazine, you really are still missing out. And I want to make it easier for you to try it. $9.95 for one year, that's 50% off. All you have to do is go to tinyurl.com 
slash wwoffer. That's tinyurl.com slash wwoffer and try out our monthly magazine and I think you're going to really enjoy it. Now here's the rest of our conversation. Well, I know this next question, your answer might change by the day, but as you've traveled over these last 15 years in this role, and, and, and I know you, of course, with Baptist World Alliance, you travel around the world, but as we're thinking about the EBF region, as, as you've traveled in your role as general secretary, I wonder if you could tell us a, a couple of stories of a couple of different countries, contexts that you found very moving or fascinating or interesting. And again, I know we could probably spend a couple of hours if you sharing these stories, but I wonder if you could share the stories for us. Okay. I, I would I'd probably begin with a country in Central Asia, in Tajikistan, one of the poorest countries in the whole region with a GDP even less than some countries in Africa. And going there and discovering that what was in the communist time a very Russian Baptist church was now reaching out to the indigenous Tajik people who are more like people in Afghanistan or Pakistan and just going with their Tajik evangelists to a village where they had not only slaughtered a sheep in our honor, but had prepared this kind of feast. And as we sat there on the ground and and enjoyed this feast and sang songs in the newly translated uh, Tajik hymn book and Bible, read from the Bible, a tremendous sense of that God has become incarnate here in this culture, and that these people were responding to the gospel. And it was a wonderful experience. The other one would be more recent, and that is that I had the privilege of going to Iraq three years ago. And we were, I, was, I was with our chair of finance, Jan Setra, and we were together in Erbil, which is the, um, the Kurdish part of Iraq, which is reckoned to be the safe city. But through a series of circumstances, we had an invitation to travel down to the um, plain of Nineveh, which had till recently had been occupied by ISIS, the forces of ISIS. Christian communities, which have existed almost since the time of Christ. And ISIS came in and they were given the stark choice to be to stay and be killed, to convert to Islam, or to leave within two hours. And they went up to the safety of, uh, of, of the north. And we were invited to go back and see one of these cities, Karakosh. And it was only a matter of a month or two since ISIS had left. And we went into this town that was devastated, both by ISIS and by the, uh, the bombing that had taken place to get rid of ISIS. Um, we saw churches that had been desecrated. But one of the churches that we wandered about, I looked up and precariously hanging off the tower was still the the cross still standing up there Uh, and then as we left that town I saw some workmen putting up a huge wooden cross at the town to declare that once again this town acknowledges Christ having had this this terrible experience people gradually returning some of course have emigrated but we need to continue actually to pray for the, the people of Iraq, particularly the Christians of Iraq, the flaming never. But I, I found it a very moving experience, but an illustration of what Jesus said that I, I will build my church and, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You mentioned the issue of immigration, which of course mm. has been immigration and, right. and refugees has been a huge mm. story in mm. your region for the last several years. I wonder if you talk about how 
churches and Baptist churches and others in EBF have been responding? Well, yes, of course, the situation has changed. First of all, we had the Balkan route where people were coming up from the Mediterranean coast through the Balkans and into Germany, and, and that then closed off. But while it was there, one of the first responders were Croatian Baptists. And they said to me, we responded quickly because 20 years before that, they were in the same position of being refugees in the Balkan Wars. And we knew what this was like. And we, we, we went in there. And so at the government-sponsored uh, camp for refugees on their way through the Balkans, there was Croatia Baptist aid supporting um, refugees in, in many ways. And then when that route closed, the Croatians went to Greece. Now they're, they're still working in, in Bosnia and with some of the refugees that are still there in Croatia. And then there's uh, the, the magnificent response of the German Baptists because so many landed in Germany and wanted to land there. And, and our church has just opened their doors to them. And I, I visited one church in Berlin where the um, female pastor said to us, you know, it's so often this is seen as the refugee problem, but actually we genuinely want to say it's a blessing that we've opened our churches to, to these folk. And the Germans have gone on in the, the subsequent stages, provide, helping to provide language training, helping people to settle. Now, of course, this has been met with a counter-movement in many places, which is quite hostile towards refugees. I mean, it's happening in, in Germany, it's happening elsewhere. But I'm very proud of the places like Germany, like Croatia, and, and there are others as well, where Baptists are just responding with that loving the stranger and loving the neighbor in quite costly ways to make people welcome. But it continues to be, and I say this, you know, even within our churches, it continues to be a debate as how how welcoming can we be, particularly to those of other faiths like Islam. It's been one of the most inspiring stories to hear the last few years at BWA meetings mm. is some of the work in the EBF region, mm. um, particularly when we were in Zurich a couple of years ago and in some yeah. of the sessions were around this topic, hearing from German Baptists, Baptists from yeah. Lebanon and so forth. And yeah. So uh, it's been inspiring to see that on the ground work. I, I probably should have mentioned Lebanon, actually, because they, they, they have been amazing in working uh, with Syrian refugees. Remember that the Syrians were the enemy. For years, Syrians controlled Lebanon, they controlled its borders, uh, its, its immigration, and, and then they, they left. And now they're coming back, not as controllers, but as refugees, but they're still regarded as, as, as the enemy. And the way that Lebanese Baptists had to overcome that sensation of the enemy in order to, to do the gospel thing of loving the enemy, that wasn't easy for them. It didn't happen just automatically. And I heard some very moving stories about that. But then they, they set to, and with help from Baptists and others around the world, they have an amazing ministry in the camps. And I, I visited the church at Zafle, where which is near some of the camps, new church building, where some of those refugees had actually come to faith. And, uh, and, and apparently they just walked into the church and, and felt they needed to be there. And some of them come to faith in, in Christ as well. So I, I think what's happening in Lebanon has been remarkable. Yeah. One of the things we hear in the United States a lot about Europe is how secular it is yeah. and how much ahead of the United States in making some secular moves mm -hmm. as well. But and I wonder if you could talk a bit to that 
that secularization that we hear about and how that impacts your all's work there? Yes, that, that's that's quite a complex question, actually, because you, you, you've just been asking me about immigration. And of mm-hmm. course, immigration has brought a lot of Christian influence into Europe as well, particularly from places like Africa and the kind of African Pentecostal traditions, which, which have established some very large churches in, uh, in the West. But it's true, overall, we're in a very secular situation. And I think that for many particularly in Western Europe, this means that we have to reevaluate our response as churches in mission, evangelism. Probably a much, uh, the, the approach has got to be much more that we meet people where they are, we engage with society, really engage with it. And so there are churches being set up as cafes, churches, you know, meeting around interests, Churches not even meeting on Sunday in some in some cases. Uh, you know, some of these experiments will no doubt uh, not not last. But I think we need to encourage what we sometimes call the pioneers in mission to to secular Europe. I've just been finished reading a book by a, a Dutch professor of missiology, who's also a church planter, who's talked about coming to Amsterdam after living in what was the Bible Belt of Netherlands and discovering that. A tiny, tiny proportion of people go to church every Sunday. Now, how do you respond to that if you're wanting to really make an impact? I don't think you do it by traditional church growth methods or even traditional church planting methods. He he advocates much more thinking of ourselves as almost like the old monastic communities, small communities, keeping the faith alive, being open to the society, to engage with it whenever they can. And and witnessing to our faith that way, and, and encouraging people to be to be part of it. So I think it, it needs a different kind of response today. Well, I want to. We've talked a lot about the rest of EBF, but I wanted to. You, you mentioned briefly you were from Great Britain, but I want I wanted to talk about you as a person now, mm-hmm. not just the ministry that you've been doing and representing Baptists across the world, but. So who who is Tony Peck? What's a little bit? How did you come? Who who is the person that came into this role? Yes, well, I I was raised in Scotland, and uh, Scottish Baptist Union is is separate from Baptist Union Great Britain. My musical studies took me to England, um, and I I became a music teacher for some years. Then felt the call of God to ministry, and studied at the Baptist College in Oxford at Regent's Park College, and so I entered the ministry of the Baptist Union Great Britain. I had a local church ministry in a, a multi-faith area of one of the northern English cities of Bradford. I had a, a regional ministry in what we call the Yorkshire Baptist Association, where I was a, a regional minister. I had six years as a tutor at Bristol Baptist College. And all that, all those experiences actually were very good preparation, although I didn't realize it at the time or God's very unexpected call to me in 2004 to become General Secretary of the EBF. But even before that, just after the fall of the Berlin Wall, when I started my regional ministry, our region was asked to develop partnership with the Baptists of Latvia. And I first visited them when they were still part of the Soviet Union. And we had a wonderful partnership for the following 10 years. We were able to help with some things for them but they also gave a lot to us from their experience, a deep experience of the, the, the issues of 
communism that they lived under. And that experience introduced me really to the EBF in the end. And I see the way that God prepared me through my life through the different kinds of ministry that I'd had for these last 15 and a half years at the EBF, which have been enormously privileged and fulfilling, actually, for me. Of course, there's always challenges. Baptists, there's always challenges to Baptist unity, but I, I, the EBF family is a, is a very precious one to me. Well, since you're from Great Britain, I feel like I should ask about Brexit. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> Sorry, but I, I, you know, I know we're all trying to figure it out. So, so what happened? Oh well, yes, it's probably it's probably too. Uh, we don't have enough time to go into all the aspects. But let me just say say this that uh, I I think in in Britain it's an island nation that have always been those who have you know been less comfortable with our connection with particularly the European Union. And the European Union itself is not perfect by any means. But nevertheless, for many of us, it opened up a new set of opportunities to be connected in a very easy way with what we sometimes call in Britain mainland Europe. But, um, and, and, and I think from a, if you like, a Christian faith point of view, uh, and, and I think Baptists have always been internationalist. Uh, you know, the, the gospel crosses borders. We are not connected as Baptists with one particular country or a founder from one particular country. And, and it's that sense of internationalism and crossing borders, which I think has been, for me, the biggest casualty, perhaps, in, uh, in, in Brexit. But look, you know, it, it, we will continue to have that good connection with Europe. On the day of the referendum result that said we were going to leave the European Union, a wonderful letter, which was, I received a wonderful letter from the Baptist Union of Great Britain, the General Secretary, Lynn Green, assuring European Baptists of a continuing deep connectedness with, with us as the Baptist Union of Great Britain. So that, that will continue, but of course, some, for some of us, Brexit has happened with a heavy heart. Well, I think that letter is a, a great way of wrapping up this conversation, and, and yeah. it's, it's a great symbolism of what you have been doing throughout your ministry, mm-hmm. this idea that Baptists, through EBF, through BWA, and other networks, that we are crossing these national boundaries, mm-hmm. these other lines that, that do often divide us, and I appreciate your example and your witness in, in helping Baptists to cross these lines in your ministry. So thank you for, Tony, for all that you have been doing and for joining us on the program to share a couple of your stories. Thanks very much, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. You can learn more about EBF at ebf.org. As always, you can find us at wardenway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people to find the show. And you can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it. And all you have to do there at wordandway.org is hit the donate button. And whatever you give will help support the production of this podcast, as well as our website and monthly magazine. And speaking of that magazine, don't forget that special offer. 
You can try one year for 50% off at tinyurl.com slash wwoffer. If you have any comments or feedback about the program, please send it to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening.